of this house for this opportunity to share with you. I want to thank our daddy in the Lord, the venerable himself, um, Reverend Donna, uh, Reverend Aniago, and uh, Reverend Zubi. Uh, I also want to acknowledge my wife, who might be in the children's church. Um, she's been a blessing to my life. Amen. Okay, I will read a few passages and then we pray and we get into the Word. The text is Psalm 85 and it's already been read. So, but I would just like to draw emphasis on some particular verses. Verse 2. Psalm 85 and verse 2. If you are there, say yes. You have forgiven the wickedness of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have withdrawn all your wrath. You have turned away from your burning anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us and bring us to life again? Revelations chapter 3. I balance everything. Revelations 3, I will read from verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the trusted and faithful and true witness, the beginning and origin of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, the amplified put in brackets spiritually useless and neither hot nor cold I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have prospered and grown wealthy and have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked without hope and in great need I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated red hot 
and refined by fire so that you may become truly rich and white clothes to clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen and healing salve to put on your eyes so that you may see those whom I dearly and tenderly love I rebuke and discipline so be enthusiastic and repent behold I stand at the door of the church and continually knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me Lord I ask that you strengthen me this morning may every word I speak be inspired by the Holy Ghost I ask that you put words of faith in my mouth and grant the listener the ability to understand in the name of Jesus we pray okay so um, in Psalm 85 where we read the psalmists recognize their sinfulness they recognize that the reason for God's anger towards them is because they were sinful and so they begin to petition God that he would revive them again in verse 6 and it is important for us to understand that when we speak about reviving anything I'm sure the doctors here since we have a lot of health workers here will understand that you don't resuscitate someone who is alive and well and good I mean it would be stupid if you are full of life you see a young boy nine years old ten years jumping all over the place with life and all of a sudden a doctor walks up and says I, I, I need to resuscitate you you know, it doesn't make sense. Amen. Are you, are you with me? I mean, if you had life and you are walking out with so much strength and vigor, maybe after a bout of exercise in a gym, sweating and just, you know, coming out of the gym and a doctor walks up to you and says, I think you need to be revived. I mean, it will look stupid, right? And so, it's the same thing because... Um, Every time or any time we see in the scriptures that revival is required, it means, it simply means, whether it is written there, but it implies that there is some spiritual deadness. If there was no deadness, then there would be no need for revival. Immediately you see the word revive, then it means that there was something that was, that was dying. Something was losing life and needed to be resuscitated. Amen. Are you with me? Do we agree? Okay, so now, if you are in doubt to what I'm saying, at least we read in Psalm 85 that they acknowledged that they were sinful. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is what? Is death. So obviously there was some level of spiritual deadness in their lives and they needed God to revive them. The next thing I want to point out from this is that revival is not the ideal plan of God for every Christian. 
I'm going to say it again, as strange as it might sound to some of us. Revival is not the ideal plan of God for every Christian. The ideal plan is that you catch the fire and then you keep burning. Are you following? Are you with me? That, that's the idea. The ideal is that you catch the fire, keep on burning. There should never be any need for resuscitation in the first place. So if there is a need for resuscitation, then there's a problem. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, quench not the Spirit. Other translations will say, extinguish not the Spirit. The idea is that a Christian will catch the fire of the Holy Ghost and just keep on burning for him. The fact that does not mean no one Are you following? I've been in a place where some young boys were discussing and they felt that, I mean, it's impossible for every man must have something. It's either you're a womanizer or you smoke cigarettes or, or you drink alcohol. I said, well, even when I was not a believer, I was never tempted to smoke. I was never tempted, tempted to drink alcohol. So you cannot say that just because it's your problem, everybody has that problem. I think that's, somebody would always say, my, one of my pastors when we were in school would always say that, Somebody who has done this, everything becomes yellow. Yeah? Makanimwa John this, everything is yellow. You see somebody who doesn't have the same problem you have, and then you declare that you know you have the same problem. And so we see that the idea behind our salvation in the first place was not for us to keep falling and keep standing up. The ideal that God wants for us is that we keep on burning. Amen. But you see, when the ideal is not in place, God always has a backup plan to revive us. And so, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16, now, and I'll take us to Revelation and I'll stay there more now. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So we see the church. We must note also that God was talking to the church here. So when he says the church, these were people who were saved before. Christianity is not the way it is now at that time. Now, some people are born in church, their parents are churchgoers, so they just come to church and they are Christians. Amen? But then, if you are a Christian, you must have been saved. And so, when this was being written to the church, these were a group of people who had at some point encountered Jesus Christ. And at some point, there was an issue. And so they became lukewarm. And Jesus Christ begins to tell them, this was Jesus Christ himself talking, not any other person. So we are not in doubt. If you ever want to make that um, kind of um, um, demarcation, that what he was saying was correct. And he begins to say to them, see, you are neither hot nor cold. In fact, he is so certain because he has them in his own mouth. Are you, are you getting the point? If You will be certain, you will know. He said, I will spew you out, I will spit you out of my mouth. Which means that he was certain of their condition. I have you in my mouth. But I think we can draw some fantastic um, inspiration from that too, knowing fully well that you are in the mouth of Jesus 
if you are his child. I mean, it's, it's something that is thought-provoking. That God is so interested in us to the point that he even has us in his mouth. Only check our temperature per time. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? Isn't it interesting that the Almighty, the Yahweh, the I am that I am, is so interested in you that he has a, 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 so much love that he puts you even in his own mouth. That, that's, a, that's a talk for another day. Uh, amen. But, but there are three key things I want to bring out about this lukewarm Christian who needs to be revived. Because what we are discussing today is hunger for personal revival. And so there are three key things I want to bring out from that book of Revelations about the, about the Christian, the lukewarm Christian, who needs this personal revival. Revelations 3 and verse 17. The Bible says that you say, Jesus Christ was saying, this is what you say. And, and before I read this, I just want to give a little perspective. The church then in Laodicea, Laodicea was known for three things. They were known for, uh, they were wealthy, it was a wealthy town, and they were known for selling eye ointments. It was one of their trades, and they were also good, I think it was cotton or wool. So they also had this clothes trading that was also going on. And that was probably why Jesus Christ used the analysis he used here for them. Are you following what I'm saying now? Okay, so now let's read. He says, you say I'm rich, I'm wealthy. I don't need anything, yet you do not realize that you are miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Sounds like the average Christian today. I mean, when you're listening to most Christians today, we are all talk and no results. So as if I pass a table, I, I know who God says I am. What is always your is true. All things are mine. And it's the word of God, it's true. We talk, we brag about what we've got in God so much. And yet, when you begin to look at our lives, you see that the devil is running riot in most of our lives. It's crazy how we brag. How we talk about everything that we have, what we own in Christ. Everything that we've become. Oh, we are seated in the heavenly places far above principalities and powers. And it's true. But then, just a little issue from the devil. You find us running helter-skelter. Christians can't even settle their own disputes in-house. And then when you look at it, you begin to find out that we don't have any of the things that the word of God says about our character. And all we talk about are the things that we possess. It's all about money. When we want to talk about success today everybody is talking about how wealthy you are what do you have in your account i've even had a preacher even go as far as saying that what you have or how much you can give to the gospel can determine your place in eternity what load of rubbish you see we claim we have so much in god but we have so little because how you know somebody who is rich is that when it comes to problems and difficulties they have the ability to solve problems and yet we have so many of us making so much noise talking about what we have in God yet when some small problem shows up Christians cannot solve any problem people who call themselves by the name of God anointed filled with the Holy Ghost tongue talking can't do much in the face of the adversary sounds like the modern day church to me so much emphasis on money and so little emphasis on spiritual wealth. So much emphasis on what we've got on earth and little emphasis on what we've stored up for ourselves in heaven. 
And that's the lukewarm Christian. If you notice in your own life that what your emphasis have become, what has become your own emphasis is how much you've got, how much success. I mean, I, I know somebody who, who was an inspiration to me when I was growing up, when we, I got into year one and he was attending a particular church. So because I knew his testimony, that was how I started going to that church. It was simple. If this guy is going to this church, me, I'm going there. Now, what was his testimony? I knew as far, as, as far back as when he was um, still in precise because he had issues before he got admission. He was so anointed. I, 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 we visited his house. He, he stays in the room, locks himself up, praying for hours. He would listen to, I don't know if you know Sam Tukura, anybody here? He used to listen to Sam Tukura then and then. By the time he's done listening to Sam Tukura for hours, the guy enters into this, into this prayer session and he would just keep praying in tongues. And he was so massive. See, before this fall and die nonsense started, I know that an occultic man died because of him. Went to the village one day, the guy was threatening their family, he was going to do this and do that. In the middle of the night, he said he had an urge to pray. Started praying in tongues for hours. All of a sudden, he was taken bodily into a place, which of course was a witchcraft coven. And then he saw pots lined up all over the place. You know, we are not people that believe things like that, himself particularly. So, but it was a shock to him. But you know, when the Holy Ghost takes hold of you, things start happening in the spirit realm. So, he went in there, started praying in tongues, and then all of a sudden, those pots started cracking. He didn't pray for anybody to die. In fact, what, after he finished, he said he had a sense in his spirit, ah, my work here is done. And he saw himself again back in his room. True story. Immediately that happened, something fell and shook the foundations of the house where they were. The next morning, the man who was threatening them was in the hospital. Was in the hospital. Confessed all he had planned to do. In fact, confessed the ones that he had already succeeded in doing to his father and so on and so forth spiritually. And then the man died. No fall and die was prayed. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, but I was discussing with him recently because, of course, and he has, he has, he has made quite some, some money. And I was surprised. He was telling me that, see, uh, he was watching a football match when I came. So he was telling me that even as he's sitting here, God is talking to him. See that? God is talking to you while you're watching Chelsea match. Then he was so interested in this finished work of Christ, which is true. There's a finished work that Christ has done for us. But you see, we must understand that this is our bragging without results. And I asked him a question then, because in fact, his wife didn't happen to know this story I just told now. So I told the story in the presence of the wife. The wife was shocked. He said, you mean God used my husband to this level? I said, yes. But we had an argument about prayer, and he doesn't pray again. He hardly spends time in prayer. So I asked him a question. I said, how much results? Look at the one you did before. God used you to do before. Which one have you done recently? He started trying to explain to me that, you know, we've passed that level and, you know, and stuff like that. Now, why am I telling this story? I'm not saying this to sound all dramatic. I'm just telling you that, in truth, the effectiveness of Christianity is shown in the results that we bring. As we start showing results, there are things that we don't need to talk too much about. People can look at our results and begin to fall in line. Are you following what I'm saying? That's the simplicity of the gospel. The second thing I want to point out about the Christian who is lukewarm. 
is that Jesus is outside knocking at the door. So, just like what I just pointed out now with this guy who was my mentor before, there's no fellowship again. Now, please note the church. It was a church that this letter was written to, not to unbelievers. You know, most times when we make altar call, we always say Jesus Christ is at the door knocking. But did you notice that this passage was not written to unbelievers? Now, I'm not saying you cannot apply it, but I'm trying to point out that this was written to Christians. So it is possible for somebody who is a Christian to fall out of fellowship. Please take that to the bank. For those people who are preaching once saved, always saved. A Christian can fall out of fellowship with God. And the Bible says that Jesus was at the door knocking. Now, I want to point out something that is critical there. One of the biggest problems we have and why we are not seeing too many results too. And I blame myself too. I'm not saying this as in, okay, let me just come out and just say this thing as if I figured it all out. No, but it's true. It's scriptural. And so we should at least face our problems and know that these are the issues that we have. The problem of the Christian who refuses to fellowship with God is that if there is no fellowshipping, there is no spiritual eyesight. There is no spiritual um, 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 insight. Sorry. And then there is no commissioning. I'll repeat again. First of all, because there is no fellowship, there is no spiritual insight. And because there is no spiritual insight, there is no commissioning. I will explain myself. When Jesus Christ was on the road to Emmaus, when the disciples sorry, were on the road to Emmaus and they were joined by Jesus, the Bible said that as they spoke, he spoke words to them. Yet their eyes were not opened till he fellowshiped with them. Immediately he fellowshiped with them in the communion. The Bible said what? Their eyes became open and they understood who was there with him. Now and immediately after that, the Bible we know that eventually he commissioned them to go and preach the gospel. But what will bring it out more is Romans chapter 10, I believe, and verse 15. Or is it, yeah, verse 15. In fact, let me start from verse 14 to read it. He said, how then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach without being sent? That is the commissioning. You see, when the apostles were praying, the Bible says, as they ministered to the Holy Ghost, the Bible said, separate unto me Paul, Saul, and Barnabas. It was in fellowship that the commissioning came. The reason why we have so many times tried to catch people into the kingdom of God and we are missing our mark is because there is no fellowship in place. You see, the Bible clearly says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. He is still the Lord of the harvest. He is the one that sends laborers into the field. And so when you fail to get equipping from God and you decide to jump into this thing just because everybody is going to evangelism, no fellowship with the Holy Ghost, results will be diminished. So we have so many people in our time 
Now we have many more apostles than we had in the time of Paul or Saul and so on and so forth. Who were the real apostles? So many of them have taken the titles of apostles, but they are not really sent. Because if you are sent, you are sent to solve a problem. What problem are you solving? Apostle means sent one now. Someone who is sent to do something. What are they sent to do? Sent to deceive? I don't want to double into that, but the point I'm making is this. Every time fellowship is not in place, people lose insight to what God wants to do. And before God commissions people, he gives them an insight into what he wants to do. So it is fellowship, insight, commissioning. And when there's no commissioning, we can go and do the works in flesh. We will get some small results, but the results will not be too much. That's why you find that some man, some man who has really spent time fellowshipping with God comes out. And he does a five minute preaching. Some of us will labor for 30 minutes, nothing will happen. Five minutes preaching, souls are saved. And without too much follow up, I'm not saying follow up is not important. You find that 10 years later, some of those people are still born again. Are you getting what I'm saying? There's a deep conviction that the Holy Spirit comes with in such meetings. Because they are sent. I said they are equipped. And so when you find out that your fellowship is not in place, you need revival. The third thing I want to bring out, there are so many things that we can bring out in Revelation 3, but this is just a Sunday service, so I'll just bring out a few things. Number three, they are spiritually blind. Jesus Christ says in Revelation 3 verse 18, buy ointment to put on your eyes so that you may see. Now I'm going to deal with that spiritual blindness a little bit before we now go into what we should do. We've heard of recently, um, at least everywhere you go, billboards, on the TV, everybody's talking about social distancing. Amen? I believe that's also why we're a little bit spaced out here. Because of the pandemic. And so because when there's a pandemic, as this one, they say social distancing will help to reduce it. But you see, there is a pandemic that was around even before coronavirus came. That pandemic, me, I, I want to call that pandemic now mental distancing. You see, that mental distancing was brought on us because of some of the gadgets we now have in our homes. So you see a husband and wife, and I've been sometimes, you know, <laughs> I'm guilty as charged. You find that you are so engrossed on the internet doing something, you are bodily present, but mentally absent. One <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> it's a pandemic that's taught so many hopes apart. Because some people will now go on the internet and think that everything they're seeing there is real. So when they come out from that trance, <laughs> they want to apply the same thing in their house and it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so I call that one mental distance. It's a pandemic that has been around for a long time before Corona came. But there's even a worse pandemic than mental distancing that I call spiritual distancing. That's the one that Jesus Christ says that I'm at the Lord knocking. You see, that one causes spiritual blindness. When you find, when you come to a point as a Christian where Christ is now at the door knocking, 
eda afuzo kuzo cheke eni anunu you say you are worshiping jesus that he is your lord and your master but he is at the door knocking na ena afuzo no think about it, it can is it possible that you will see your master if you are really seeing him knocking at the door and even speaking the bible says if you will hear my voice that means he's also talking he's trying to get your attention in fact not only need that fools or either and if are you getting my point that pandemic is called spiritual distancing and it has been around even before mental distancing came it brings a lot of blindness to us and it makes us not to understand what god's plan is and so when you also come to a point in your life where you don't even know what god's next move is you see the problem with spiritual distancing is that it leaves you doing everything that you do in the flesh you don't know what god's plan is you don't have an insight into what he wants to do in fact let me go a little bit step a step further sometimes you can become a warrior against the kingdom of god i noticed a trend on the internet there are this group of mostly young boys who feel that they have a part- if you are here and you are like that god have mercy on you they feel they have a particular calling to defend the gospel of Christ on the internet some of them are very insulting with their language you don't see christian language in their talk they can be raw when they when they reply somebody in the defense of the gospel i was looking at cnc oyelodo's page and he said something it's not that i particularly agreed with what he said but the language with which one young boy that i knew who was my age probably replied him i felt like you know if it was possible to reach him when i was somebody are you following what i'm saying that is as a result of spiritual distancing go and check that guy's life the problem he has is that he does not even know where jesus christ is again So he has turned a warrior to fight for Jesus. When in actual fight he is bringing down the gospel. There's something that happened to me. It's not too long ago last year so I won't sound too spiritual because we can make mistakes. There was this family group that was created my mother's from my mother's side she has five brothers. All five brothers are in America. None is in Nigeria. Five. So we one of them who was a young lad, a teenager who was in I think their high school or whatever decided to open a group where everybody he traced he did a mighty work traced generations did a table connected the whole thing and added everybody traced everybody and added us all on the WhatsApp group one day one of my cousins who we've always argued he will even be arguing the bible with me with a bottle of beer in his hand sometimes you come to any reason or tell come he say I should come I come he will be arguing the scriptures with because he grew up in a scripture in your home like me too bottle of beer in his hand and he will be arguing with me on scriptures so i don't know he wrote something that was you know that you know ticked me off and i find my found myself aggressively arguing with him on the whatsapp group now something happened which is what i want to show you some of those americans 
Because the children of those my uncles who were on the WhatsApp group, we don't know them. But we are relations. We've never met physically. But some of them don't go to church again. Some of them don't believe in God. They started leaving the group. Did you get what I just said now? It was then that common sense came into my head. Listen, this thing that makes us feel that we have in this generation, it's raising a lot of stubborn, rebellious Christians who think that they have a function to defend the gospel of Christ. And they are exposing their rebelliousness instead of humility. And they think that they are serving Christ. is wrong. We should still respect our elders now. And so I had some common sense. And from that day, I've never tried it again in my life. Never. If you want to insult Jesus Christ, and I, and I am certain that by engaging you, I'm going to lose some things there. I will allow you. Jesus Christ is man enough. If you see him, you will know he's man enough to handle his business. Ozukembe, Dimbakob. Spiritual blindness. It is dangerous. You, you will start fighting against Jesus. You won't even know it. Because And so if we've, if for any of these things I've mentioned, you found that the Holy Spirit is pointing out to you that there's an issue somewhere. I want us to just look still in Revelation 3. One thing about Jesus Christ is going to I'm sorry if I'm sounding too ebotic today. One thing about Jesus Christ is that he, he will not leave you hanging. After he, after he finishes his diagnosis, there are some doctors that when they finish their diagnosis, they will tell you that we don't know what to do. <laughs> this one is beyond medical science for now. So we'll just be managing it, you understand? Uh, because as for your own case, we don't know what to do again. It has passed. It has passed our level. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Doctors are not laughing here. If you see anybody who is not laughing, it's a doctor. <laughs> uh, but that's the truth. That's the, that's the limitation of human, humanity. Okay? We're not, we not God. Now, but Jesus Christ, when he is done with his own, he always prefers solution. So in Revelation 3.18, he begins to talk. He says, I cancel thee to, to buy of me gold tried in the fire. That thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Now I want you to notice something. Jesus Christ kept saying, Buy, buy, buy from me this, buy from me this, buy from me this. I began to think with my engineering mind. That the constant in this equation is Jesus Christ. Buy from me this. What is being bought is changing. But Jesus Christ is constant in the equation. The first thing that we must recognize if we are going to develop this hunger for personal revival is that Jesus is enough. Everything that you want is in Jesus. 
Everything that you require is complete in him. Are you following what I'm saying? You're looking at me like you don't believe it. But it's true. And it's something that has made us to fail so many times. Because sometimes we begin to get ahead of God. Because we think he's not moving fast enough. He's not doing enough at this point. So let me use my contacts. I know this person. I know this other person. I can do this. I can do that. But we must first of all settle in our mind that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. The Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh to me, God says, and I will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. You see, one thing that we must understand is that what we need to start doing is to come near to God. And sometimes when we hear things like that, it sounds so vague and so difficult for us to do. But I want to have you to have a picture in your mind that God gave me as I began to think about this scripture. God said, you know, I began to have this, I don't want to say God said, but... You know, I started sensing this in my spirit. This picture came into my heart as I looked at this scripture. And it's one of my favorite scriptures. And I've never had this picture before. You know, if you draw nigh to God. In my humanity, I draw nigh with my, no matter how tall I am, maybe six foot. I draw nigh with my six foot leg. And the best I can do is the length that my leg can take me. If it's a physical thing. Are you following what I'm saying? But God draws nigh in his godness. When you draw nigh one step, he draws nigh with one God step. And we know that a thousand years is like a day to him and a day like a thousand years. And so imagine when you just decide to take one step, what you gain is more than what, what you lose. Whatever you're going to lose, you think you're going to lose. Because you gain closer proximity, if that English is correct, with God every time you take one step, he takes one God step. One mortal step of yours, he takes one immortal step of his. One baby step of yours, he takes one supernatural step of his. Every time you step out in faith and draw nigh to God, you gain God. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. The second thing I want us to bring out, because my time is almost up, is that for anyone of us to see Jesus Christ sufficiently, because that's the problem. Most of the times, we know in our mind, we agree, Jesus Christ is enough. But for us to continually believe, we must continually expose ourselves to the word of faith. Anyone who is not continually exposed to the word of faith, very soon, something will happen and it will shake you to your roots. And you will not be able to keep on believing. Are you following what I'm saying? Some circumstances will come up and you will feel like, okay, you know, but anyone who continually exposes himself, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul was rebuking the Galatians and he said to them, Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. If you received the Spirit by the hearing of faith, that's what he was saying, then you must continue by the hearing of faith. That the works of the law will not help you. That was what he was trying to tell them there. And I'm also saying to us, any one of us who wants to continue believing that Jesus is enough, must continue exposing themselves to words of faith. Unfortunately, most times what we hear is not words of faith. They don't inspire faith in our hearts. But there are some times that you listen to some anointed word. And you know that these are words of faith. Keep exposing yourself to words of faith. That's how you keep staying in the place where you believe that Jesus is all that. Because sometimes why we lose the hunger is because we don't think that he's enough again. But if you can stay where you keep exposing yourself to the word of faith, you will find out that he's always enough. 
Jesus Christ said in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14 to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? If Jesus Christ was just telling this the, John to write, just for writing's sake, then, I mean, he's not all God. I, I don't understand. Why would he be doing that? He's telling him to write because he knows that there is a high possibility that when they read the word of faith, the word of faith, because that's the word of God, when they read, it will transform them. The idea was to correct them. So if he was saying, write it so that they will receive it, it means that there is a possibility that what we put in is able to correct us. What are you taking in? That's the word of faith. Because if Jesus knew that if they received this word, there was no possibility of change. And why was he wasting his time talking about the church there? But because Jesus knew that there was a great possibility that if they received this, it will bring some change. It will bring some common sense. It will set them to default setting. He knew that it was better for him to write it down and give it to them. That if it is given to them, that the word of faith can bring transformation in their life. Unfortunately, most of the time we spend our time doing things that does not give faith. At the point, I go katam the coronavirus update. At the point, I stopped reading. It doesn't inspire faith. Please, if it inspired faith in you, just wave your hand. Let me know how you read your own. It doesn't. Now, I'm not saying don't read the news. But I'm saying that if what you feed on is what the media is giving you, if we were, if we feed yourself with the word of faith, it, it does not just make you feel good. There's a power in it. There's a power back in it. Ah. Number three, destroy the attitude of multitasking. See, this generation now, somebody can be chatting only WhatsApp with five people at the same time. Five people. I've been in a group where someone meant to send something to someone else and then sent it to another person. Multitasking. Do you know that that thing has become, is, become, is beginning to become, a, in fact, even when you even see people's CV now, they write it, the ability to multitask. Is one of the things that is supposed to, you know, show that you are, you are a good employee if we take you. <laughs> In the kingdom of God, multitasking is a drawback. You, you cannot, I'm not talking about physical things, I'm talking about spiritual things. If you want to focus on God, focus on Him. You can't multitask. Anytime you begin to multitask, you lose that one, you lose Him. You see, Jesus Christ was saying, I think it was in Matthew chapter 6 and 22, he was talking about let your focus be single. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you with me still? Are you still in church? Ah. Let your focus be single. This generation, everything multitasking, you're able to, you, you want to do this. In fact, and, and you see, the problem is that the devil has so much packaged this thing. You are reading the Bible, you've decided today, in this lockdown, I'm going to read the whole book of 1 Corinthians today. You read chapter 1 successfully. Somebody just sends one thing in WhatsApp. You reply. Now let me just reply in just one second. Before you know it, that one second is one hour. 
Because does it happen to anybody here? We must drop this attitude of multitasking. There's no way you want to be just you can't go anywhere with God with that kind of attitude. You see, I strongly believe that one of the reasons it was much easier. I don't want to say much, okay, let me not say much easier. But why people, most of the times, you know, in the olden days, were able to focus much more easily was that there were not too many distractions like today. Honestly, I think so. There are too many distractions today. And so sometimes you just need to cut yourself off. I've seen some documentaries about some people in America. This hostel and bustle of the city. See, so that he withdraw himself from humanity. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about genuinely cutting yourself off so that you can face God for some time. Do you know the Bible says something in the book of, I think it's Romans 1, where he was, either Romans 1 or Romans 2, where he was talking about, before he started talking about the homosexuals, he said how they changed the glory, majesty, and power of God. I think glory, majesty, and excellence of God for images that were less than God. Did you notice that there was an exchange? So what it means is that anybody who spends time in the presence of God is being exposed if they exchange glory, excellence, and power for something that is less. It means that if you stay in the presence of God, you are exposing yourself to glory, excellence, and power. Face God. Face God. The last thing I'm going to bring out. Okay, second to the last. My time is... Second to the last thing. We must change our mentality that God's plan will come to pass whether we do our own or not. Have you had that before? Have you had that a lot? Big lie from the kingdom of darkness. Let me go as blunt as I can. There are people that will go to hell if you don't get your acts together. Most. There are people that no one else would reach if some people don't do what they're supposed to do here on earth. If you are doubting me, let me prove it from the scriptures because so that it will not be that I say it. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. This is good and it pleases God our Savior. Who wants everyone to be saved and to come to know the truth? This is God's plan. He has said, what is his plan? Are you looking at your Bible, please? I want you to look at that place. Because I know so many of us have this mentality that my error. God will always find a way to do his work. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. This is good, and it pleases who? God our Savior. What does he want? Because since we the Bible, are all men saved? What does God want? Because some people did not do their own now. You shine in your own little corner. I shine in my own little corner. It's not just about mega churches and mega prophets and mega apostles. Everybody is doing their own in their own little corner. 
But you see why some people begin to drop off and there's no hunger again for their own personal revival is that they don't see the need for them to do anything again in the kingdom of God. They feel that the kingdom has enough people. And are you not noticing that the devil is helping us to push that agenda? He's now bringing in prophets who will even tell the people that see, before you fast, tell me, I am your prophet. So that people don't even seek the face of God and everything refers to the man of God, emoji. It's the same agenda. The idea is for you to think that God has enough men who are doing it. Go and sit down. You don't need to do anything. If you don't do your own, you might not be able... I know that all of us might not be able to uh, uh, perform at 100% capacity. But how dare you say... That is when you should now start telling yourself all those things we used to tell ourselves. That you are seated in heavenly places, far above principalities, principalities and powers. That's when you should remind yourself of who, of who you are to God. The last, but not the least, we must understand the efficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. I say this because a lot of times, when people fall, they stay there. They stay there. I'm sure it has happened to some of you here. I know that there are some times that when I wake up from my slumber, and you want to pray, the devil paints this picture of why God will never accept you again. Why you so much messed up. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been there before? Oh, you've not. Some of you are very righteous. Also. Have you ever come to a point where you wanted to pray and the devil kept bringing in this one, this matter, this matter, and he just choked you. At a point you knew you couldn't do anything, you couldn't perform again. Understand that the blood of... That is why what he's trying to do is to burn out the hunger. Now, now let me explain this and, I'll, and, and, and we'll end here. The problem is that most Christians think that why the devil is attacking them is to ensure that they don't go to hell. It's not the complete truth though. Yes, he's interested in making sure that you, if he can, take as much people as he can to hell. But that's not the complete agenda of the devil. The complete agenda of the devil, devil is to ensure that as much people he can frustrate from doing the will of God, he can frustrate them. There are two different things. Why there are two different things is because you can make heaven. The Bible even talked about the man who made heaven, but he will be like the person who was saved from the fire. Was that the will of God for the person? No. He has suffered eternal loss. That's, why the Bible, that's what the Bible said, but he made heaven. So sometimes his plan is not necessarily that you will not make heaven. That's not the complete agenda. No, if you see it like that, you make a mistake. Yes, yes, he wants to take people to hell. But no, the, 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 the most important thing to the devil is per time, per second, to keep frustrating the will of God. If every day he keeps achieving that, he is going to depopulate heaven as much as he can. That's the whole idea. It's the end game that he's looking at. Guinea has a chest. He just named the pawn. But he's looking at the whole game. He's seeing the bigger picture. But thank God that our God is the grandmaster. I said our God is the grandmaster. What the devil saw, if he had seen well, he wouldn't have crucified Jesus Christ. And when he crucified Jesus Christ, he gave us the blood. You know, Isaiah said, when he saw the Lord, he said, I, I saw the Lord, and then he discovered that he was a man of unclean lips. Not only that he was a man of unclean lips, he also said that he discovered the people around him were also unclean. Because he said that I also dwell amongst people who are unclean too. You see, and then the Bible said that coals from the altars of heaven were taken, and they were put in his mouth, and he became clean. 
Jesus. I said we have the blood. I said we have the blood. Understand that there's efficacy in the blood to get you going again. If you lose it, stand up and keep moving. The kingdom of heaven needs you. As many as can do this work, God wants you. And so he wants you to develop a personal hunger for revival. Let us pray. Thank you, Father. If there's anyone here who wants to rededicate their lives to God, I want you to do it now. The Lord is here to help you. Just speak to him. Just speak to him. And if the devil is bringing up any issues, just put it under the blood. The blood is enough. The blood of Jesus is enough. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. For we have a high priest that has entered once and for all into the Holy of Holies. Oh, and the scripture says, He is able to save to the uttermost they that come to God by him, being that he liveth to make intercessions for us. Our Heavenly Father and our God, we thank you for your word this morning, reminding us that we have to hunger for your word, that we have to covet down milk that comes from your word, that nourishes the body and the soul, that confessing you alone is not good enough, that we should live to fulfill your will and purpose in our lives in Jesus' name. Our Heavenly Father, even in this time of modernization, post-modernism, that will still be sensitive to your word, that your word will still convict us as it did the time that our eyes opened to the truth. Father, may this truth lead us. May it lead us through the narrow path till we get to our destination. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Morning.